You're listening to The Common Cause with Phil Lyman and Mike Peterson. Um, Representative Peterson, how are you doing tonight? Hello, Philip Lyman. How are you? <laughs> doing good as ever. Doing good as ever. How's the how family? Yeah. Well, last I checked, everybody was, everybody was healthy and happy. Good. good. Well, hey, I've got uh, Darren Bushman's joining us tonight, and Darren and I go go way back with uh, to my county commissioner days. In fact, he's one of the first commissioners that I really connected with, and we we found that we had some some things in common. Number one, we didn't like the government telling us what we could and couldn't do, and uh, and he's anyways been a great friend, a great supporter of mine, and um, uh, anyway, so I'm glad to have him on tonight, and glad to kind of introduce him to you. So, well, we, Darren, we, are we, you? We, yeah. Darren and I have been Darren and I have been uh, good friends for the last few weeks on Facebook. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Okay, Darren, yeah. you're there. Yeah. Okay, I'm here. Um, yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about it. Where did we meet, Phil? And I think we actually met in newly elected officials training at the Utah Association of Counties. Oh, is that it? <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, so. that's probably that's probably true. Yeah. The one I remember was uh, was it uh, was it Houston, Texas, or when we went to that wolf thing with Doyle Shamley down there at uh, someplace in Texas, and oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There. Anyway, yeah, we've, we've... That's what. That's when I recognized that I had a, a brother in the county <laughs> commission ranks. So. Yeah, we we learned a few things about how our federal government manages in the endangered species, don't we? So. <laughs> that's funny because part of the reason I I ran for commissioners because I wanted to figure out what was going on. And I couldn't, and I thought, there's something going on here. And then uh, you get in and it's like, oh, yeah, there's more going on than I thought. And then the same thing kind of happens at the state legislature. And I, I just can't imagine what would happen at the federal level, what you'd find out is going on behind the scenes. And you probably don't want to know. Yeah. That's right. Yep, that's right. Could be a little discouraging. Yeah, yep. Well, Darren, do you have any jokes tonight? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm always good for one of those, you know. <laughs> I don't know where you come up with them all, but I, I, I get a kick out of it on Facebook. You know, uh, there, there's a man who pulls a gun and sticks it in a man's back wearing a nice, crisp three-piece suit. And he says slowly, get your wallet out and give me all your money. The man in the, in the suit quickly responds, you can't rob me. I'm a state representative. And the man holding the gun quickly responds, you're right. Slowly get your wallet out and give me my money back. <laughs> that wasn't written about a state representative. You, you made that up. <laughs> I would never do such a thing. That is really offensive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think we're done for tonight. Yeah. yeah, Probably true. Yeah. (laughs) You know what they say about a a lawyer gone bad, right? You you know what you call a lawyer gone bad? What? Senator. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you never make friends. This episode is going to really fly. Well, yeah. you know, you guys bring the most irreverent county commissioner in the state on your show. You, you, you should know that Brian Schott's going to have an article about it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's, uh, yeah, that's the world we live in, for sure. <laughs> well, hey, um, 
I, I wanted to. <clears throat> sorry, Mike. If I'm if I'm cutting off anything no, here, ahead. but I wanted to say, Darren, going back to the rural online initiative, uh, just the, you know that you 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 kind of pushed that legislation a few years ago, and it's it made it up through the ranks. It got passed, and man, it has really been. I guess almost prophetic uh, how how much foresight that had because because now with uh, COVID it sure is making a difference and and I, I don't know if you're seeing it you know to the same extent in in Piute County that I am in San Juan County but things have really changed and I think I think we were ahead of the curve because of your rural online initiative. You know I think I think there's a, a real telltale on this. All you got to do is go look at uh, open commercial office real estate space in Salt Lake City right now. Uh, uh-huh. And you'll see how many people are moving out of offices and out of um, office complexes. Mm-hmm. And th- I don't think that this is a change that's going to return once COVID, uh, it, mm-hmm. you know, the vaccine or whatever. I mean, businesses have figured out, um, as we had long said when we were trying to put together the Rural Online Initiative with rem- remote work opportunities. Um, you know, that you can do business from home and, and businesses can avoid all the brick and mortar costs and all the overhead costs associated with office complexes. And, you know, they were forced to experience it. And I think you'll never see it be quite the same. You know, I just, uh, just read an article where, you know, one of the big uh, securities companies is considering a move out of uh, New York city to Florida Mm -hmm. and, they're planning on a large portion of their workforce be, becoming virtual through that move, right? Um, because they're already working virtual. So it's, it, it, yeah, it was kind of prophetic. It would have been a lot easier to get this passed in the, in the House of Representatives and in the, in the Senate had we had a pandemic at the time we were trying to do mm-hmm. this. Right. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, well, I know my office, we, we, we closed down. We said, hey, why are we paying why are we paying the lease? Let's just do it from home and it's working. And, and my son's the same way. He works in a, with a big, uh, a big group, uh, some 900 or a thousand employees and primarily they're at home now. And, and it seems to be working. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. We, we had, uh, I've got sales reps that call on me that, you know, they had, uh, regional offices that they were all stationed out of and, uh, yeah. They they're now gone. The regional office is completely gone, and they're they're stationed out of their homes, right? And, yep. And I know several of them that have already moved because they were living where they were living because that's where the regional office was, not because that's where they wanted to live. You know. So. Uh, yeah. It, it's it's made a huge shift. That's for sure. So. It's, it's kind of cool. Yep. Well, I think uh, it's got a, it's been a huge boon for the Utah State University and Rural Online Initiative program too, because their uh, their engagement and their program has went up um, massively. So, well, yeah, yeah, we're living in uh, we're living in a different world than we were um, a few years ago in that regard, and right, yeah, whole different whole whole different business uh, model. So. I'm sure Absolutely. glad I'm not in commercial real estate right now, though. I'll tell you. Yeah, that that would be a tough one. That would be a tough one. But I think you're yeah, going to yeah. still find people need um, opportunities for uh, small meeting places, uh, get-togethers, 
maybe, you know, access to some sort of tech mm-hmm. that maybe mm-hmm. they don't keep at home, um, which was really the impetus behind the legislation that Carl Albrecht ran, the uh, RCIC, the Rural Co-working and Innovation Centers. Um, mm-hmm. And I really see now in this legislative session, um, if, if we can't see how that fits into the equation now after, after the pandemic, then, then we just are, are not paying attention because, you know, if you had these uh, regional co-working innovation centers um, where people could go have a meeting, have access to a small conference room or, or a conference table, um, when they do need to collaborate face-to-face, um, you know, it, it basically completely eliminates the need for, for an office setting, you know, conference center setting, because um, if we had those spread throughout the state as we kind of envisioned, with the RCIC legislation, um, there really would be no need for, uh, you know, holding a commercial office space with a conference room in it. So, mm-hmm. are those uh, are those RCICs? Um, are they uh, state buildings or? No. So the RCIC private offices. So the RCIC is um, is basically a grant fund that um, allows for a county, municipality, or a nonprofit to create a co-working and innovation center um, in, in their communities. And they're really targeted at small communities and, and uh, areas. And in fact, one just went to San Juan County. When we, when we awarded the grants this year, um, San Juan County um, got funding to develop one mm-hmm. down, down there. Uh, there's okay. been one uh, developed in Sandwich. There's been several um, developed over in, uh, Carbon and Emory County, um, and there's uh, another one that w- the grant was awarded to be developed in Escalante this year, um, mm-hmm. and then one out in uh, the Uinta Basin. So, um, but you know, the idea is where, you know, like Paiute County, we don't even have a public library, right? So, um, if we had a space like that where people that are working remotely can come and and uh, collaborate and meet and work together. They don't have to have an office space, uh, you know, five days a week. They just need an occasional right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. Anyway. Yep. At my office, I my CPA office. I've told my staff, I don't care if you're if you come to the office for our staff meeting, but you're still going to do it on on uh, on Teams at your desk. And uh, so today, four four people were in four different offices having staff meeting, and we were sharing a screen and sharing a spreadsheet and. The main thing is we want to learn how to use the tools, and in some ways, they're superior to meeting, you know, face to face and and trying to take notes of what's being said when you're collaborating and you use those tools right. It can uh, we're making strides on it. So right, right. There's actually a ton of study work that's been done on the effectiveness of people working in an environment where oh, they yeah. control their interruptions um, and how much more efficient you can be. And yep. the, the ability to not being, you're not subject to uh, communication that you uh, don't want to have in the middle of trying to get something done. You can set your communication aside for a time when it's uh, effective for you to do it. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot to be said for it. And there's, there's been a ton of research data on it. And it's, it's no, no surprise to me that companies are reporting better productivity, right? So, mm-hmm. right. 
Right. So. I do get more bothered. Uh, I, I do have a more visit from the UPS driver here than I did at my office. So I got to tell you, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> you got you got to lay off Amazon, Mike. It's it's my <laughs> wife and Amazon. They have a, quite a quite a close relationship. <laughs> Sorry, especially this time of year. Yeah. I know that's that, and that's not cool. Things keep coming. I say, Sally, what is this? Can I open it? And she keeps telling me it's none of my business. I think, I think it probably is some of my business, but anyway, sorry, I digress again. We we get into these discussions, Darren, and and we never know quite where we're going to start or where we're going to end. But I, hear I think you. we wanted to t- we wanted to talk about the concentrated um, animal feeding operations and some of the legislation and and how that's affecting. Yeah, just go for the most controversial issue that counties are facing in the state right now, right? <laughs> yes, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> especially, especially since it's the state legislature that's on the yeah. got the bullseye on their back. So right. yeah, let's yeah. do it. Yeah, well, so you know, for those that probably don't know, there's there was a piece of legislation proposed last year to create basically a state standard um, for how confined animal feeding operations were placed in the state. Um, yeah. SB 106. Yep. SB 106 by Senator Sandal. And mm-hmm. um, it was, it was, I think rightfully so pushed interim um, with the theory that it would be worked through, um, you know, and, and try to come up with something that worked. But, you know, this is the classic situation where you've had counties for years and years and years had the responsibility for planning and zoning and placing these in their counties, right? And there's a good reason for it because counties and and communities know where these things will work and how they will work with their communities far better than the state legislature would, right? Can we stop for a second and and tell people, because I'm sure there's a lot of folks who are going to listen to this who don't know what we're talking about. Ah. So a confined animal feeding operation um, is any kind of concentrated um, feeding scenario. So a uh, large turkey brooding uh, raising operation or um, even like chicken egg production operations where you have large volumes of poultry or um, in this case, this bill really is centered around hogs, even though mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it claims to be a, a bill about um, everything. It's centered around hogs, and it and it comes out of a conflict that was come about in both Beaver and Millard County, where Smithfield Farms wanted to put hog operations where the county didn't want them to be. And mm-hmm. Smithfield has operated um, very well for years in Beaver County, but when they didn't get what they wanted, then the solution was we'll go to the state legislature and we'll mandate it that counties have to accept us. And it, it really is um, one of those situations where I think counties should have this responsibility because frankly, it's county commissioners and, and county elected officials that are going to get your butt chewed at church um, when mm-hmm. there's a pig farm a mile from your house. So, right. So, 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 so why did, why did the counties, uh, what, 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 was, what was the problem? So one of the problems in, in Beaver County was they, for years and years, have had zoned and planned 
that the hog operations were all out in the West Desert, and there's 180 miles of West Desert with no impediments for airflow and all that other stuff. But Smithfield Farms wanted to put a hog operation on the east side of Beaver City up against the mountains and right up there where they're building million-dollar homes and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so Beaver County pushed back, and then they ended up, there was a lawsuit that came to be, and finally the lawsuit was dropped because Smithfield, I guess, chose to spend their money on uh, lobbyists and attorneys to go get the legislature to fix their problem. There's a real incentive for um, these uh, industrial corporate farms to locate as close to uh, cities as possible because the infrastructure mm-hmm. build, build up is incredibly expensive, right? And the the word in Beaver County is they've spent $150 million building infrastructure for the existing hog operations that exist out there, right? And so if they can um, locate close enough to existing infrastructure, then the bill goes down substantially, right? Um, and in Millard County, the issue was that they had went through an exercise for a couple of years to place a hog operation in Millard County where the Millard County commissioners thought it would work and and had worked through in good faith to get everything done with water quality and all of that other stuff. And then at the end, Millard County ended up denying their request. But the the little known fact to the whole deal was that – Smithfield Farms had been presenting the operation as a finishing farm, which has large, uh, large animals being finished for, for slaughter, which means that the number of animals involved is substantially lower than uh, what they write in the 11th hour presented, which was a farrowing farm where the number of animals is nearly six times what a finishing farm would have. And so it was kind of a bait and switch and the county commissioners put their foot down and said, look, this isn't what you told us you were going to do. And so, no, we're not going to, we're not going to proceed because this isn't what we've been doing all the planning under, right? <clears throat> not been doing the water studies and the hydrology stuff and, the, you know, w- uh, water contamination studies and everything else based upon, we can't change um, horses in the middle of the river or, so, so, so that so, caused some controversy, and they ended up, um, you know, going and trying to get a legislative fix. So yeah, so so, you, Darren, you're you're a county commissioner, and I always, when I was a county commissioner, I always thought, you know, what what arrogance for someone up in the Wasatch Front or or somewhere else besides where you're at or where I was at to assume that we that we didn't consider these things that somehow we didn't have the the tools to make a good decision on that yet yet that seems to be what we bump up against all the time and and maybe the state feels like they have better data or better scientists or something i i, I can never tell if or if or maybe they're just being you know you know schmoozed by lobbyists and 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 so they're going along i i can't really quite put my finger on what brings a a state body to feel like I mean, and there's, there's times that we have state laws that, that override, you know, local things. But in this situation, there's no reason to do that. And I, I, I can't really put my finger on why it happens. Is it possible that this is – could this be a, uh, 
an issue of private property and uh, the, the, the county is now telling me what I can do with my private property. And so there's folks who think that's, that's obvious. I think we'd all agree, you know, we want our private property rights, but, but is, is that part of the issue? Is that, is it legislators oh. who are saying, look, we got to protect these people's private property rights. Cause all of a sudden the county is saying you got to have a 10 mile setback and that's Holy cow. How am I supposed to, how do I reconcile well, that? Well, see Senator Sandall and, and, and I, I mean no disrespect to him cause he's a really good guy and he's done a lot of great things. So I don't want, I don't want to, to say that, but, uh, anything that would be negative towards the senator because I, I think he really genuinely does um, have our state's interest um, at heart. In this situation, um, he's maybe too close to the operation because he actually runs a CAFO. Um, mm. And so there's a, a general proof um, or a general theory here that what they're trying to do is protect the producers, right, um, from some unfair treatment from the counties, right? Um, but at the same token, the counties, you know, we do planning and zoning all the time and we decide where things can and can't be done in our counties all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's certain places for certain types of activities and, you know, there's certain, uh, certain types of parcels and, and certain zoning that allows for certain conditional uses and all of that's yeah, been very sure. well thought out and it's been thought out for years and years and years. And so um, what's happened here is a producer didn't get what they wanted. And so now there's a, a desire to get a state legislative fix that they can get what they want. And, um, you know, you see this, it happens all the time. It's happened in the building trades industry. It's happened with electrician licensing in the state. Um, you know, it's, it's happened in, it, I, I can name a bunch of stuff, but, um, if, if they're lobbied well enough and you find the right person who has a similar interest, um, and you can get something like this moved, moved forward. But, you know, this is a classic case of what we hate, um, as a state, we hate it when mm -hmm. the bureaucrats 2,500 miles away mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C., tell us what we can and can't do with our public lands or how we can and can't manage our state. It's the exact thing that we hate when the federal government does it to us. And yet what we've got going on here is we now have state government trying to do it to, uh, mm -hmm. to county government. And, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a classic case of one size really doesn't fit all, right? Because, um, you know, Beaver County has massive open space um, and you know there's like I said a 180 mile open corridor with no mountain ranges or nothing and then multiple valleys that follow to the west of there that have similar types of openness and yet you know you come to Paiute County and it's it's 26 miles long with uh, a canyon at all entryways to the county so you know Placing a CAFO in Paiute County, is that the same as placing a CAFO in Beaver County? Not even close, right? So, so, um, so, so the bill, I, did, if I understand right correctly, didn't the bill sort of uh, take those things into consideration with, uh, you know, the county, uh, I can't remember how they call them, you know, the one, two, three, four. Uh, oh, class. The classifications, classes. yeah. Didn't, didn't they take that into account? 
So it's it's very complicated in that there's a state matrix that they proposed from uh, from Iowa. It's basically what Iowa's law is regarding these operations, and so there's a scoring matrix and a a bunch of stuff that goes along with it. But you know, county's position on this basically is. Look, if you want us to have CAFO ordinances in our counties, then do like you did with our county resource management plans and tell the counties to go out and develop CAFO ordinances, right? But don't implement an ordinance at the state level and tell us to, um, to adopt it, right? And so the senator, and I think trying to back down from this, has said, well, we'll give you the option. You can implement your own CAFO ordinance or you can follow the state ordinance or the state guidelines, which right. kind of sounds good on the surface until you talk to any attorney about it. And the attorney will tell you, here's the problem with that. If let's say Paiute County creates their ordinance, but they don't agree with something that's spelled out in the state ordinance or the state guideline on this. So they don't implement that component in their, in their ordinance, or they, they vary in some, uh, you know, standard that is applied at the state level and they apply it differently at the county level. Um, every attorney out there says, if I'm the plaintiff now and I'm suing the county, um, the first, uh, in, in my opening statement, the first thing I'm going to say is, well, look, Paiute County didn't even follow the state plan on this. They didn't follow what the state published as the guideline, right? And so, what in essence happens, even if you do put this through as a piece of legislation that counties have the option to opt into, um, in essence, what you've done is provided the plaintiff with the material to use against you when you end up in a litigation scenario, mm -hmm. right? And so it's, it's truly one of these things where probably the best solution is for it to go away. Um, if it doesn't go away, the second best solution would be to tell counties, go out and develop a uh, a CAFO uh, ordinance and make sure it covers the following five areas or, you know, something like they did with county resource management plans. Cause that's how that was rolled out. Right. Commissioner, you, you know, too, that when the people come to sue the counties, it's probably not even people who care about CAFOs. It's people yeah. that care about <laughs> just trying to bury the County, you know, just, and we've seen that the same, the same environmentalist attorneys show up to sue us on every, issue and it's just uh, i agree with you it gives gives just one more chance to do it and and what I'm, I'm not a big fan of the county classification system for the same reason it's it's arbitrary it doesn't really it doesn't really fit you take a, a county like san juan county that's huge geographically and um our population is i mean we we don't we don't fall into the same rural classification as a tiny little county that's got a smaller population yet we're dealing with so many of the same issues of time and distance. And to me, the whole solution is to put this in the hands of the subunits of the state, which are the counties. That's why they were created. Uh -huh. And if, and if we would, if we would trust our subunits and then treat them, you know, kind of on an equal footing with every other County and give them the same chances and divide resources equitably. That's the solution to so many things is turn it over to these to these counties and let them mm -hmm. let them make their own local decisions. Yep. And you know, Representative, it was just not that long ago that coming out of the Federalism Commission and the Natural Resource Subcommittee was the uh, 
county resource management planning uh, right, right. desire. And, and I remember sitting in, in the committee rooms when we had legislators saying, look, we don't know how to manage the resources at this level. We're mm-hmm. not we're not on the ground in in Garfield County or Iron County. That planning needs to be done of those resources needs to be done with the with the leadership closest to those lands mm-hmm. and closest to those resources. And that's why we want to do this. That's why we think it's critical that each county develop their own county resource management plan. And so what did they do? They, they made available some money to get the planning done and they provided some resources to, you know, assist counties in getting the planning done. And, and they did that. And then they rolled those all into a state plan that mm-hmm. addresses, uh, you know, resource management planning at the state level. And so, you know, it, it was just not that long ago that we were hearing legislators say, you know, we we have no way of knowing how to manage those resources appropriately. And yet now here we're talking about an issue uh, relative to placement of an operation um, in, in a county where I can trust you, many of your colleagues on the Wasatch Front would know zero about the nuances <laughs> of placing one of these in San Juan County or placing one of these in Sevier County, right? Um, and, and the other interesting thing about the legislation, which I think is, is really a, a question mark, is there is no, the way that the bill is written right now, there's not an option for saying there's no place in our county to put a CAFO. You, you right. cannot, right. basically the way the legislation is written yeah. is mm-hmm. there is no, uh, you cannot say no ever, right? So, um Sevier County is a prime example. If you look at just the way the cities are laid out in Sevier County, they're all uh, between four and nine miles apart, right? And so any open land that they would have that really would work for CAFOs is no way to get any setbacks for CAFOs, right? And so there are very, very few places, if any, that it would work in Sevier County just because the way that they've used the, the land that's there now, you know. And and so there really needs to be a mechanism where a county like Sevier County, who knows it best, could look at it and go, geez, there's just no way that we can do this without it becoming a complete mm-hmm. um, nuisance to a community, right? Yeah. So. Mike, you, you brought up you know, private property rights. And, and, and that is, that is always one of those things that, that comes into this, but I, I'm, I'm really protective about a community's um, right to pass ordinance that they kind of agree on as a community and, and through their representatives, the commissioners. And, and you, you do run into some, some, sometimes those issues are pretty complicated, but when, when we're talking about these CAFOs, to me, this is, this is one of those that clearly needs a little bit of, um, you know, uh, commissioner oversight because they, they are large and they, they do have some, some negative impacts. And so I, I, I agree with, uh, I agree with the idea that the counties can probably make this decision better than, than the state legislator, state legislature could. So, yeah, it's, it's always better when it's the local unit than the further away you get, the worse the decisions are. Yeah. You know, and it, and it brings up another question about, you know, this particular situation 
and a commissioner said to me the other day, he said, you know, should we destroy the way of lives of our, of some of our citizens or some of our communities, should we destroy their way of life or their quality of life for the sake of a large corporate uh, operation that ships 94% of their product to China? Yeah. And I I sat there and I went, well, uh, you know, there's, you, you have to weigh the jobs and you have to weigh the financial impact to the communities and the other things. But, you know, you really have to question if it truly is a destruction of quality of life. Is it, is it worth that? Right. And so, and, you know, we have CAFOs in Paiute County and I think, you know, we can make CAFOs work in Paiute County if we do it right. Right. But I don't want a situation where um, mm-hmm. one of these corporate entities says we're going to put them here and we're all going, and eh, no, I don't think so, but we don't have any choice because that's the way the, the matrix falls yeah. out, you know, so. Well, well, it's a good topic. Um, yeah. So we probably, we probably need to wrap it up, um, but we could talk about this stuff <laughs> all night and probably should have you on again sometime to talk about some of these other issues. Cause I think, I think this one really cuts across a lot of concerns and issues that we face as a legislature and certainly as the counties. Well, if you have any listeners left after they listen to this one, with me, <laughs> we don't want to offend our, our base here, you know, but, uh... well, I have to leave you with one last dad joke. Okay. Oh, so, we'll take so, it. You know, a joke doesn't escalate to the level of a dad joke until it's full Grown. <laughs> oh no, that's terrible. <laughs> that's terrible. Oh. Well, I, I would tell you, I, I've got, I've got the, I've got the best COVID joke you've ever heard. The, I think that's how we got to end. Really, I've got, I've, I've got the. Okay, the best, all right. But I'm, we'll see. I, I, I got to hear it. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think you'll get it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. I like it. That's that's well done, Mike. Thank you. I wish I could say it was mine. I stole it from somebody else, but oh well. No, I wish I could say any of them are mine. I'm the king of plagiarism, so you know. Um, anyway, oh, you and Joe. Well, hey, Darren, the only thing I've always- ever been written up in Utah policy about was Phil Lyman commenting about my dad jokes. Oh. <laughs> It's always so good to talk to you, Darren, and appreciate what you do and appreciate all the commissioners and people that are out there trying to, you know, keep the doors open and the bills paid and the potholes filled. And it's it's a lot of work. And I know the money doesn't trickle down. It kind of stalls out before it gets to you. So thank you so much. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Have a good night. Thanks, And we look forward to talking again. Bye-bye. Take care. See you guys. Thanks for listening to The Common Cause with Phil and Mike. You can email your comments and questions to thecommoncausepodcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll subscribe and that you'll give us a five-star review.